The text for this Ash Wednesday is from the book of Genesis. I'm reading from the first chapter beginning with the 27th verse. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When Pastor Lynn and I were talking about our Ash Wednesday service and he asked me to preach today, he also told me that his preaching plan for worship during the season of Lent was to concentrate on the blessings and promises of God and that God's first blessing was pronounced at the very beginning when God created human beings. Well, I had missed that. I had always spent more time thinking about how God created men and women in God's own image. That's what I concentrated on when I looked at this text before. I had not taken God's blessing seriously before, certainly not in this text. And, you know, even in other parts of the Bible, this idea of blessing seemed to elude me. For example, blessing seemed so important to Jacob that he stole his brother's blessing by disguising himself and he went to his father Isaac and, and stole Esau's blessing. And yet, Jacob spent the next 20 years of his life on the run. What good was the blessing, I wondered? Well, as I've matured and recognized how very blessed I am, I've become more aware that this gift of life is indeed a blessing, even when circumstances all around us seem to argue against it. The first time it occurred to me that material blessings were not necessarily the most important part of living a blessed life was the time I traveled to the Rio Grande Valley on a mission trip. A large group of us traveled there to spend our days working with families who lived in the barrios. The family my group helped wanted their small, one-room, cement-brick home divided 
into even smaller rooms. But they wanted privacy. They, this family of at least four lived in this one little room. Mom and dad needed some privacy. So we spent that week putting up drywall and dividing that house into at least three rooms. There was no plumbing in the house. It was more like a tool shed on a farm um, than a home that certainly you or I live in. The water came from a hose attached to a spigot that served three or four other families. The toilet was an outhouse. Yet, I experienced this family to be as happy as any. They didn't moan and groan about their home or their life. They were grateful that we were helping them make their house better. They were hospitable and shared their food with us, and we shared our food with them. They laughed and enjoyed the work that they were doing to make their home better. When I left the Rio Grande Valley after that week and returned home to my family, I had a new appreciation for the gift of life. If this family, who had nothing compared to me, could be happy with their life, then surely I could be happy with mine. Not long afterwards, I heard a story about one of the great evangelists of the United Methodist Church, which reinforced this new idea for me, that blessing can be experienced under all kinds of circumstances. The evangelist was D.T. Niles. It was a story about his life that I heard. He was from Southeast Asia, primarily doing his ministry there, but he also uh, became a, a world evangelist. He worked with the World Council of Churches in the 50s and 60s on ecumenical affairs. I loved his description of Christianity. Perhaps you've heard this. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. But the story that impressed me was about the time that Niles was visiting England to attend an ecumenical conference. And after a long day of meetings, he was riding the tube back to his hotel, and he was robbed and accosted. Well, later, when he shared this story with others, he said that when he got home that night, he prayed to God. And he thanked God. He thanked God that it was only his wallet that was stolen. He thanked God that he was not hurt. And he thanked God that the robbers weren't hurt. The first time I heard that story, I was totally surprised that someone could be thankful after being robbed. It continues to remind me that even when unfortunate events happen, Indeed, we can be thankful and feel blessed. I was not thinking of that story, however, when I learned that my friend Jim Cloninger had been killed in an automobile accident. I was horrified and sad and angry. Jim had been one of my mentors when I was in seminary. 
He was one of those people who had confidence in me even before I had confidence in myself. When I attended Jim's funeral, I had an opportunity to speak with his daughter, Sarah. And I spoke out of my sadness and my anger. I'm so sorry, I said to Sarah. And I didn't know what else to say except what I felt. It's just not fair. I spoke those words before I entered the sanctuary to sit with the congregation. As you can imagine, uh, a pastor's funeral is always packed. We were in the big cathedral in San Antonio at, at that large university church in northwest San Antonio. There were probably a dozen preachers up on the podium, each one taking a turn to speak. And Jim's good, good friend, John Flowers, was the preacher that day. And he got up and he began to preach. And what he said shook me to the feet. He said, don't you dare say it's not fair. I was shocked, embarrassed. That's exactly what I had said. What was he talking about? How could he mean that? And John told us, Jim was a gift to us. Jim's life was a gift from God. How can we be angry at God just because Jim is no longer with us? We are lucky that we had him at all. We take the gift of life for granted. We forget that it's a blessing, not something we deserve. Recently, I read a story which is helping me think even deeper about this gift of life and what blessing means. It's from the novel Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese. There's a story in that novel about a failed coup attempt against the emperor Haile Selassie of Ethiopia. And one of the main characters in the novel, a surgeon named Gosh, was arrested after that coup, even though he had nothing to do with it. Yet, he was a friend of the leader of that coup, a colonel named Mabratu. Gosh was imprisoned for several weeks, and his family were very frightened. But finally, he was released, and he was safe. And so... One night soon after his release, he and his twin sons who were about 12 years old and his wife were just so grateful to be together. They were huddled on the boy's bed. It was time to go to bed and they were there to just, you know, be grateful for one another and glad that they were all safe together. And Gosh started telling them about his experience in prison. He said, in prison, lights were out by 8 o'clock. 
and we'd tell each other a story. That was our entertainment. I told stories from the books we read to you in this room. One of my cellmates, a merchant, Tafik, he would tell the Abu Qasim story. And so the narrator tells us that the Abu Qasim story was well known to children all over Africa. Abu Qasim was a miserly Baghdad merchant and he was so cheap that he had held on to his battered, much repaired pair of slippers even though they should have been thrown out long ago. At last, even he couldn't stomach the sight of them. But his every attempt to get rid of his slippers ended in disaster. When he tossed them out of his window, they landed on the head of a pregnant woman, caused a miscarriage, and he was off to prison. When he dropped them in a canal, the slippers choked off the main drain and caused flooding, off to jail. Then Gosh continues his story. He said one night when Tafik finished, another prisoner, a quiet, dignified old man said, Abu Qasim might as well as built a special room for his slippers. Why try to lose them? He'll never escape. The old man laughed and he seemed happy when he said that. That night the old man died in his sleep. Gosh said, the next night, out of respect for the old man, we lay in silence. No story. He said, I could hear men crying in the dark. This was always the low point for me. Ah, oh, boys, I'd pretend you were both against me just like this, and I, I would imagine him his face before me. The following night, we couldn't wait to talk about Abu Qasim. We all saw it the same way. The old man was right. The slippers in the story mean that everything you see and do and touch, every seed you sow or don't sow, becomes a part of your destiny. I met Hema in the septic ward at Government General Hospital in India, in Madras, and they brought me, and that brought me to this continent. Because of that, I got the biggest gift of my life, to be the father of you two. Because of that, I operated on General Mubratu, who became my friend. Because he was my friend, I went to prison. Because I was a doctor, I helped to save him, and they let me out. Because I saved him, they could hang him. You see what I'm saying? The boys couldn't see. They weren't sure what he was saying at all. He said, I never knew my father. And so I thought he was irrelevant to me. My sister felt his absence so strongly that it made her sour. And so no matter what she has or will ever have, it won't be enough. I've made up for his absence by hoarding knowledge, skills, seeking praise. What I finally understood in prison is that neither my sister nor I realized that our father's absence, that's our slippers. In order to start to get rid of your slippers, you have to admit they are yours. 
And if you do, then they will get rid of themselves. Gosh sighed. He said, I hope one day you see this clearly as I did in prison. The key to your own happiness is to own your slippers. Own who you are. Own how you look. Own your family. Own the talents you have and the ones you don't. If you keep saying your slippers aren't yours, then you'll die searching. You'll die bitter, always feeling you were promised more. Not only our actions, but also our omissions become our destiny. That's the story from author Abraham Verghese. As hard as it is to embrace, I believe there is truth in Verghese's story that all we experience is a gift for our blessing. This idea that our whole life, all the good and all the difficult of it is a blessed gift leads me to one of Jesus' most remarkable sayings. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I've often pondered what this abundant life is. I've come to the place where I believe it is everything. Every experience, every possession, every feeling, every loss, every joy, every pain and suffering, everything. The thief is the one who tells us we are not good enough and don't even deserve what is good. The thief tells us that we must hide parts of ourselves or else we won't be accepted. The thief lies to us. The truth is, the life we have right now is the gift. The person we are right now is blessed. From the very beginning, God meant for us to have life and to have it abundantly. My prayer for all of us is that our journey to Easter will be an opportunity for us to experience the abundance of our own blessed lives. Amen.